Welcome in to the first edition, the first episode of the Designated for Assignment podcast. Rob Wong, Josh Goldberg with you. Happy to be finally getting back on the uh, airwaves of some sort, Josh. Everybody's got their own podcast these days, so we figured uh, why not dive into it. I got to say, though, I mean, everybody that uh, knew we were doing this when we put it out on Twitter, friends, colleagues, just people that have listened to us over the years, incredibly supportive uh, of us going forth with this venture. So just first off, want to thank everybody for their well wishes and support. It's uh, great to see. I mean, you know it. I know it from uh, doing Blue Jays stuff throughout all the years. The Blue Jays uh, Twitter community, the Blue Jays fanosphere, if you want to put it that way, it it really is like no other. It really is like, I, I guess, you know, like a, working around the team and involved with games for so long, it was only until like sort of recently that I noticed how, let's say ravenous, I think is probably the <laughs> diplomatic word to, to use for it. it it's, you know, it's, it, there's a lot of emotions, a lot of passion, and there's been a lot of positive reinforcement for us doing this and you know when you go out on a limb and and start up your own venture and you know we're just like kind of looking to have some fun here and and get back after it and talk jays with each other which we obviously love to do and have done so many times but you're not sure is is anyone really going to care is there going to be any outreach is there going to be any reaction and you know from what we saw like you said to reiterate that it has been overwhelmingly positive so it's good to know that people are excited about us getting uh, back into it and talking Jays again. And I think obviously that there's a direct correlation with the fact that the team's good, right? Like yeah. if the team stunk a couple of years ago. If this was, you know, April, early April, April 3rd, 2019, I don't know if the, uh, the appetite would be quite the same, but like, it's exciting to be starting a new venture with a team this exciting because like, there's not a lot that's staring me in the face other than just being Toronto and Toronto sports fandom, that this team shouldn't be anything other than really, really good. Yeah, we'll definitely get into the meat and potatoes of the upcoming 2022 Blue Jay season, but a little housekeeping. Of course, uh, you can find us on Twitter at DFA underscore pod. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok at DFA podcast. Of course, all your favorite podcatchers. We are planning to do a, a weekly pod come out every Sunday night, occasionally from time to time when the uh, opportunity allows us, we might do some Twitter spaces, do some post-game shows like we used to do back in the past as well. So that would be uh, a lot of fun. But for the most part, this is strictly an audio podcast, and then we'll have it available as well on uh, YouTube. So you can find us designated for assignment podcast on YouTube. But with the uh, housekeeping out of the way, let's get into the season, Josh. And as you mentioned, the anticipation for this season I honestly think the only one that rivals it has to be 2013 with mm-hmm. the Marlins trade, with the trade for R.A. Dickey. I mean, all of that. It's it's hard to believe that was almost 10 years ago, the, the 2013 season, that offseason where the Blue Jays were pegged as you know, World Series favorites by Vegas. And everybody thought, wow, Mark Burley, Jose Reyes, Josh Johnson, Emilio Bonifacio, like how can this go wrong? <laughs> oh boy. And everything went wrong. <laughs> yeah. Like a, that, like the first, everybody talks about that first game with JP yep. Aaron Sevilla letting the pass ball, not able to catch Ari Dickey's knuckleball. And there was just like a collective, like, oh, like that's, that's <laughs> ominous. That's, that's not a good sign. And of course, it just was disaster after disaster. Jose Reyes, you know, breaks his leg in Minnesota. I think it was Josh Johnson, who looked like prime Roger Clemens in spring training, gets hurt and is awful. I mean, just everything went wrong in 2013. Hard to think that everything would possibly go wrong here for 2022. There's a non-zero chance, you know, things just happen and people get hurt um, and it totally collapses. But I think we would be absolutely stunned. It would be one of the most shocking outcomes, I think, if this Blue Jays team, at the very least, wasn't competitive after the additions of Matt Chapman, Kevin Gossman, you know, Jimmy Garcia, Yusei Kikuchi. Uh, you know, with this podcast coming out uh, on a Sunday evening, Monday, there's a lot of Jose Ramirez chatter out there. We'll get yeah. into that a little bit later. I mean, maybe that happens before Friday when the Blue Jays host the Texas Rangers. But when you just look at this team as a whole, Josh, with all the returning players, the new additions, where for you does this team stack up in the American League and specifically the AL East? Because the Yankees are going to be good. The Rays always find a way. Uh, Red Sox, you know, health, health depending and 
you know, vaccination status, all of that stuff goes into Boston. Uh, it's always a wild ride uh, out in Massachusetts. But when you look at the Blue Jays, are they the cream of the crop right now of the ALEs? Yeah, I, I really do think that the Jays have to be considered the almost prohibitive favorites in, in the ALEs, even with the Rays and the Red Sox, like you said, and the Yankees. They're going to be tough. It's not going to be easy, but the Jays just have so much more talent top to bottom, I find, than any other team in this division. The Rays have always been better than the sum of their parts, and, and the Yankees and Red Sox obviously are loaded with talented players, but there are plenty of question marks for both of those teams. Like you look at Chris Sale, when's he going to pitch? The vaccination stuff, I think, is a, a legitimate question mark, uh, especially coming here, which maybe that changes, maybe it doesn't. But the Red Sox overachieved last year. They could easily do that again. I, I wouldn't write them off. And then the Yankees have their issues in the rotation. Like they're relying on Luis Severino's thrown 18 innings since 2018. That's not a bet that I would necessarily want to make that he's going to be your number two. And there's a lot of question marks in that staff behind Garrett Cole. So the Jays have their questions as well. Like what's Kikuchi going to do after he was awful last year, the second half of the season is Ryu going to be able to bounce back, but you look up and down like that first three, if you want to rank it, however you want to, if you argue that the Jays top three pitchers are Barrios, Gosman, Manoa, that is hard to top in this division. And the lineup is obviously the best far and away uh, in the division. And I think outside of probably the Los Angeles Dodgers, is there a lineup in all of Major League Baseball that you would want to have rather than the Blue Jays? I think the answer probably going into the season is no. And the bullpen is even better. So there's really not a lot. If you really wanted to try and poke holes, maybe you could. But there's not a lot that's staring you in the face here that should uh, make you say that the Blue Jays aren't the far and away best team heading into the season in the division. Yeah, and I was thinking about it today, honestly, you know, with these final few spring training games, you know, a lot of people have been talking about it, that there really haven't been any roster battles because everything is pretty much set in stone with the regards to the position players. Obviously, we were waiting to see if, you know, Greg Bird was going to be a factor and he has been. And, you know, he's obviously going to make the team, you know, David Phelps getting added to the 40 man, him working his way in there. You know, the rotation is set and we know the Blue Jays are expected to take, you know, 10 relievers, you know, Nate Pearson, probably not going to break camp, probably an IL stint here just because he's dealing with a non COVID illness and he's probably not going to be, you know, ready physically to, to begin the season. Uh, Jordan Romano is back, you know, working in bullpens, Ryan Barucki's dealing with a little bit of something. But really, that's it. It's, it's the bullpen you're looking at. And, you're, you know, there are question marks in the bullpen. It's, you know, as great as you and I, uh, you know, love Tim Meza last year. There's questions, you know, can he repeat it? You know, Nate Pearson is a question mark in of, you know, in of itself. You know, can he become what the Blue Jays, you know, expect him to be? This, you know, potential multi-inning, you know, guy, uh, maybe an occasional starter, you know, just a big-time weapon that they can use in all different types of circumstances. But, you know, the lineup, I have no question marks about. Um, and even if, you know, a guy like Vladdy goes down for an extended time or George Springer, again, like we saw last year, there's just so many players that can keep carrying this offense. So yeah. uh, unless, you know, they lose three of, you know, Vladdy, Bo, Teoscar, Springer. I mean, that's really the only way that they can get in trouble because, you know, Matt Chapman, who you know, at one point in his time uh, was, you know, putting up like 135 WRC pluses for Oakland just a few years ago. As of right now, this guy's batting seventh in your lineup, which is absolutely, you know, ludicrous. So that just gives you a sense of um, where this Blue Jays lineup is at this point. You know, the rotation with the addition of, addition of Kevin Gossman, you know, he's the Robbie Ray replacement. Jose Barrios, you know, was incredible last year coming over in the trade with Minnesota. You're hoping for more from Alec Manoa. Um, at this point, you know, Hunjin Ryu is what he is. Not that he's a question mark, but I think the days of him, you know, low three ERA guy are probably gone. Yeah. Um, you know, seems like a, a lot of things just have not uh, gone his way since the middle of last season, whether it was the, the sticky stuff or, you know, the familiarity now um, when you can't throw over 91 mile an hour, uh, miles an hour consistently in the AL East, guys are going to knock you around if you're not hitting your spot. So, you know, I think there's still going to be some good moments for Ryu heading into 2022. Um, but, you know, even at that point, if he's your number four, number five guy, I mean, you can find a lot worse. I mean, we did see a lot worse with guys like Tanner Roark uh, yes. in the past and uh, Jaime Garcia just a few years ago. Like if he's that, 
that's another question. That's another topic for another day. Uh, but there's just so, I don't want to say, you know, few holes with this Blue Jays team. I mean, every year, guys you think are going to perform, don't perform. Yeah. Um, there's going to be some surprises along the way. But just as a whole, as you touched on, when you put their team up against any of the other teams in the AL East, they have the fewest question marks. I think that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, it, it, it really is. And like, consider what happened last year where basically the deck was stacked against them from the get-go. You mentioned this, the Springer injuries. Certainly they got some, some things that went their way. Robbie Ray winning the Cy Young and Marcus Simeon, uh, you know, hitting 45 home runs and finishing as a finalist for MVP in the American league. That wasn't necessarily something that people expected. Even the most bullish of expectations or predictions would not have called either one of those. But at the same time, like George Springer played less than hundred games, you know, like they played home games in two different States, not in this country. And then they came home and they won 25 of their final 36 games at Roger center. And like that, obviously you extrapolate that you're in the playoffs. They missed by one game. Boston comes back on Washington. They were still there when it was all said and done. And then the, the critics, the skeptics might say, well, is Vladdy really going to be able to do that again? Is Bo going to necessarily, you know, hit 25 homers, steal 25 bags, 100 runs, 100 RBIs? Maybe not. But even if those guys, like you said, regress slightly, you've got other players in this lineup. Lourdes Gurriel Jr., I think, is very likely to be closer to the hitter he was from basically the all-star break on through the end of the season last year than the one he was before. There are peaks and valleys, but... I wouldn't be surprised if he drives in hundred runs this year. And Tay Oscar is obviously still great. I'm extremely high on Kevin Biggio. I think as a lot of people know, I, I understand that there are warts to his offensive game. I'm also extremely high on Danny Jansen as people <laughs> yes. obviously know I'm a broken record. So there's lots to like, even if some of your big guys, your, your top tier studs, have a little bit of a regression. Like if Vladdy hits 40 home runs instead of 48, I don't think that the Jays are going to be significantly worse off because I just think that they're so deep and their pitching is also much stronger than it was last year, top to bottom, that even if they don't score quite as many runs consistently, they can, I think, win some ball games on the back of their pitching this year, which wasn't always the case or often the case in 2021. This was the first spring training, I think, in a long time, maybe ever, where I went into it and, you know, you want to see the new guys. You want to see Matt Chapman. You want to see Kevin Gossman. You, you know, you want to see Vladdy. Can Vladdy carry it over from last year? But aside from that, like, I didn't really care what happened in the spring as long as everybody stayed healthy, right? Like, if Vladdy went 0 for 50, I would have thought, whatever. Like, he's just working on some stuff. He'll be fine. I mean, yeah. you look at Bo Bichette. Bo Bichette's not having the greatest spring. But does anybody talking about, hey – is Wobachev for real? Like, is he struggling here? Like, are there, like, there's literally no concerns for me that these guys won't be able to, you know, find it when the regular season begins because there's a track record for a large a percentage of them. And, you know, with Matt Chapman, you know, for, for me, I've mentioned it before, everybody's drawing the comparisons about, you know, Josh Donaldson and the trade from the Oakland A's and the prospects and the age and the former, you know, um, sort of MVP type of caliber player that he was and transferring over to Rogers Center now. I, I get all that. But it kind of reminds me of Marcus Semyon last year, where you looked at Marcus Semyon's career, and there was only one season offensively that really jumped off the page. And I think the question for me, and it was for you last year as well with Marcus Semyon, is, okay, is he more the you know big-time bat that he was a few years ago, or is he more the league average player that he has been for the majority of his career. And turns out, you know, we saw it. Uh, he's one of the better hitting uh, infielders in all of baseball. Uh, and I feel kind of similar to Matt Chapman that, you know, he's got this track record in the past. It's now, you know, four plus years ago where he was putting up big offensive seasons in Oakland. Is he more that guy or is he more the guy that we've seen the last few years with the climbing strikeout rate into the 30% and how much of that had to do with the hip injury I mean, probably a lot of it. Uh, if you want to take the spring training results for anything, it says a lot that this guy's putting up some of the bigger exit velocities that he's had in like over a year, right? Like that's a good sign for me that he is um, definitely healthy. He's obviously always going to be an incredible um, defensive player. But outside of like these few little things, 
there's not a lot for me going on in spring training um, for the hitters anyways. I mean, Nate Pearson, I guess you can throw into there as well. Uh, but that, I think, just shows you how much confidence everybody has in this team, that there aren't a ton of like, oh, if things don't go well here in spring, like that kind of could portend into the, the regular season that maybe these guys aren't ready to take this next step. But that really hasn't been the conversation. Like, I don't know if you've seen anything on social media or whatever with people, you know, concerned about how these guys look um, outside of a few players here or there. But I, I can't think of the last time that there was a spring training where it was just like, whatever happens, happens. Like, let's get to the regular season and get this baby start. I, I think something that I, I, that I have been thinking about because I haven't really encountered a ton of I wouldn't even go as far as to call it negativity, but pessimism or, or anything of that sort. I think fans are just so deliriously happy that a baseball's back because, you know, the lockout was yeah. not that long ago. We're talking about like three, four weeks ago. We were still, who knew when the hell baseball yeah. was going to we be We weren't back. even sure if this was going to happen. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> we originally scheduled for like February yeah. and it's just like, okay, I guess March. And then here we are, April, finally, yeah. and this thing's getting off the ground. So Yeah, so like that is number one. And then obviously the, the, the Jays are back and there's going to be full houses. And I, I'm, I'll be curious to see like opening night, opening day is always a, a madhouse and it'll be mm-hmm. a packed house. The, sat- the fact that it's on a weekend, I think will probably lend to there being big crowds and excitement and people are excited to be back uh, at events. So I think- and I would hope that the crowds will be good, but I think that, you know, the expectations are high. You know, there's always that Toronto fandom, like we talked about sense of dread where you always might think that trouble is just peeking around the corner, waiting to bite you in the ass. But I think generally speaking, this team is so young. There's not this just feeling of like, even in, in 2013, that team was not as old as the 15 and 16, but it didn't feel like it was necessarily homegrown talent and a wide open window of contention. And you know, like Vladdy and Bo, even if they don't necessarily put pen to paper on long-term deals before the season or, or even next season, they're both under club control for multiple seasons here making peanuts. And, you know, like that's another conversation about the salary s- structure for young star players, but the Jays are uniquely positioned right now. And they've sort of exercised that financial muscle to add the Springers and the Gosmans and making the Matt Chapman trades. We're finally seeing a well-oiled machine of identifying, drafting international free agents, developing the ones that turn into impact players at the major league level. And there's plenty littered throughout this blue Jays roster. And then like we saw with the Chapman deal, you trade some of your lower tiered prospects and, you know, Gunnar Hoagland was a, a top tier type prospect, but coming back from injury who knows exactly what's going to happen you identified a need and they got it done and Matt Chapman totally changes the game with what he can do defensively at third base so I think Jays fans are in a really good headspace uh right now heading into the season now if they lose two or three to Texas (laughs) could be a different Uh. story and I might be leading the charge uh in terms of irrational just you know panic but right now I think this is the best place in headspace and just thought process that Jays fans overwhelmingly feel in a really, really long time. Like probably I would say since 2016. Yeah. If, if Marcus Semien uh, takes Jose Barrios into the flight deck in the uh, top of the first inning, yeah, uh, just uh, stay <laughs> off Twitter for a bit. Might be yeah. uh, best to just uh, turn off your notifications, but you know, like everything you said there, the, the first thought that I had, and I was kind of laughing internally, you know, with all the post game shows that we've done throughout the years, I mean, just rewind, three years ago, maybe four years ago. I mean, imagine playing that, everything that you just said, imagine playing that for Blue Jays fans and like, Hey, uh, four years down the road, Josh is going to be talking about guys like George Springer and Jose Barrios and Kevin Gossman and, you know, player development and all of this stuff. And at that time it was just us fielding calls about Shatkins, this Shatkins, that, and just the complete (laughs) 180. I mean, what would you put the approval rating at this point for Mark Shapiro and Ross acts like, got to be above 90%, right? Like there's always going to be detractors. I mean, we see them all the time on Twitter. There's still people that are skeptical, like, Hey, you still got to win. It's great that you're bringing in all these people, but let's, you know, win, uh, you know, a series in the postseason before we get to, you know, world series championships. But 
I mean, I think it'd be, it'd be hard pressed to like, you know, find a lot of people that are, you know, really down on this front office because they have done everything they said they would do right outside of winning anything yet in the postseason, they said they would, you know, build this team up to a point where it's just like a revolving door, like a conveyor belt, a machine, they were going to spend the money and they did it. And obviously kudos to the ownership as well, but you know, it's, it's just crazy. Like where, this team has gotten to from even, you know, three years ago. Well, I, I guess, you know, the, the one concern I had was after COVID and the ding of revenues that were, were uh, they going to get the green light to spend and like, Hey, kudos to, uh, you know, the ownership for doing that because they easily couldn't have, could, could have said, you know what, eh, our bottom line has been hit too much. We're not going to necessarily go to where we did. And they have to continue doing it just because you're doing it right now. You got to keep spending. Like this is a sprawling metropolis of a city, great uh, fan base that will be passionate and enthusiastic if the team is good. And now you're at the point where you got to spend dough to continue having a good ball club, fielding a good ball club. And I don't have any reason to think that that won't be the case, but now that you've done it the last little bit, last couple of off seasons, you know, you've signed marquee players each of the last three off seasons. Now you got to lock up your, your homegrown talent. There's no excuse for not getting Vladdy and Bo signed super long-term. Like those are your guys. They're your twin towers uh, to take a page out of the San Antonio Spurs book. <laughs> they got to be leading you well into the future. And you can't say, well, Oh, we're not comfortable going to this number. We're not, you know, it's just not in, in our uh, budget, you know, that you got to blow that up and, and, and not think of it that way. Like those guys have got to be signed in the next 12 months. If by opening day, 2023, both of those guys are certainly at the very least, one of those guys aren't signed to whether it's, you know, eight year extension, 10, 12, 13, whatever long, long term where, the majority of their careers and certainly their prime years are spent with the Blue Jays, then uh, that's a colossal failure and a disappointment. And the front office and ownership uh, will deserve to be taken to task uh, if it doesn't get done. Yeah, those are the two guys you definitely need to uh, throw some big money at moving forward. All right, so heading into 2022, we talked a lot about the names, Matt Chapman, Kevin Gossman, Yusei Kikuchi, some of the new faces, Jimmy Garcia. Maybe we see some more uh, before opening day against the Texas Rangers. But what for you is the, the biggest storyline heading into the season? Which of the new guys are you most excited to see? Just your general overview heading into uh, the, the start of the season. I think like the, the easy choice has got to be Chapman because like you talked about, you know, Simeon, what type of player was he going to be entering last year? And you know, like he had some sub W hundred uh, WRC plus seasons. Like uh, there were some ugly years and he wasn't great defensively early in his career. And he obviously figured it out and turned into a legit option at a real premium position in shortstop. And then he moved to second base beautifully last year and, and did a great job excluding the nosedive throw against the Tigers. You know, let's not, <laughs> you know, let's not rehash that, but like Matt Chapman's lowest WRC plus in five seasons was last year at one Oh one. His strikeouts have been concerning well over 30% in each of the last two years. I just wonder how much of that is injury related. Like he's clearly dealt with that hip issue, had surgery, serious surgery, right? Like a, a torn labrum uh, in the hip is not uh, something to be trifled with, but he's had a good spring. Like he had a ball out, I guess on Saturday, missile frozen rope to left field. Like even if he has a 110 WRC plus, he's 10% above league average. That's that will be fine. And he certainly has the ceiling to be in 2018. He was 139. 2019, when he had 36 homers, he was 125. There's no reason to think that he can't get back there. He's made no secret of being a big fan of playing at Roger Center. Uh, it seems to really agree with him and the career numbers highlight that. And then defensively should be what everyone is really you know, fired up about because a lot of ground balls to the left side of the infield last year were a, a clown show, a circus. And, and that's not going to be the case this year. And he's going to allow Bo Bichette to be better at short, not have to cover as much ground. And, and uh, he'll cut him off. Sometimes that's something he does. He plays way over and will cut to a, to a grounder to the short and, and get it. He plays in, he's got a great arm. His range is unlimited like he's one of probably when he's going good which he basically has his entire career 
I would say one of the five best defensive players in all of baseball and, and, and maybe even higher. And that's going to go a long, long way for still a not very good defensive club. Like they're, they're better than I thought that they were going to be. And they're certainly better than they were in 2020 and 2019. And obviously even last year, but he's just such an impactful player that uh, like the, I think the expectations should be higher for Chapman than they were for Simeon uh, entering last year. It's just their respective histories entering their season with the blue Jays. Chapman's just been a better player than, than Simeon was uh, across the board and really didn't have those kinds of creator seasons like Simeon had. Uh, and now that he's healthy, there's no real reason to think that he couldn't crash the party and be as much of an MVP front runner contender candidate as anyone else on this blue Jays club, Vladdy included. Yeah. I, uh, Matt Chapman may be making an appearance in um, one of my bold predictions that we got coming up in uh, just a few moments. So I think, I think the easy answer would be Matt Chapman as who is, you know, the player that everybody's most excited to see, because as you mentioned, he's had some ridiculous seasons just a few years ago as a member of the Oakland athletics, but I'll, I'll go with Kevin Gossman because, Mm -hmm. you know, you talked about the rotation and the length that they have Jose Barrios, Kevin Gossman, Alec Manoa, Hunjin Ryu, Yusei Kikuchi, a sprinkle of Nate Pearson here, a sprinkle of Ross Stripling there. Who knows? I mean, maybe they go big and add another, you know, starter at the uh, trade deadline. That could potentially happen as well. But if Kevin Gossman can be the guy that he has been the last, you know, two, three years, because I think a lot of people still think of him as the guy that was in Baltimore, that was up and down and, and was okay. Uh, he's unlocked something the last three years in particular, and especially the last two. I mean, the, the splitter that he has is just one of the nastiest pitches in all of baseball. And it was crazy. um, I guess a few months ago after he signed with the blue Jays, there was that, um, uh, that video that came out. I think he was on the podcast with pitching ninja. Yeah. Uh, You and I were both uh, talking about it, but he basically says like, I know my splitter is good when my like finger is blistering up and it's like bleeding and like all grotesque. It's like, yeah. How do you function like this you pitch every five days, knowing that like your stuff is working when your finger is mangled at the end of the start? Like it kind of blew my mind. Um, but this is like where he's at. Like that's just how good the pitch is and just how much of a feel he has for it when he knows it's working. Um, you know, I'm not expecting the 281 ERA that he put up last year in San Fran, obviously pitching out there at, uh, I guess, what it is, at Oracle Park now, uh, mm-hmm. formerly AT&T Park, Pac Bell Park um, with the Giants pitching in the NL with, you know, pitchers still hitting at that point yeah. that, that definitely helped, but you know, this guy's going to strike out a ton of batters. He's going to give up the occasional home runs, but he's a horse. I mean, 180, th- sorry, 179 or more innings, uh, you know, four times or more in his career. Like this guy um, is one of the better pitchers in all the AL and it's going to be tough to replicate what Robbie Ray did last year, but he's the, the Robbie Ray replacement. So if you can get anything remotely close to what he's done the last couple of years, that just goes so far with this rotation, because yeah. as great as it is to have, you know, Barrios and Manoa and have two guys there, when you can add a third stud pitcher into the mix, I mean, you just look at a simple series in the playoffs, a five game series, seven game series. You only need three starters really. Um, and a good bullpen, of course, but to have those three guys all clicking at the same time, I mean, if that, that, if that happens come, you know, September, October, I mean, that, that for me is really going to be the, the big X factor for this team. All right, let's get into our annual bold predictions. There's been some hits over the years, Josh, and some misses. Uh, most notably for me, I may have had some uh, Brandon Drury ones back in the day. That, oh, yeah, uh, your boy. Blew up in my face. I did have a good Kendris Morales one, though. I remember a few years ago looking for a bounce back season from uh, Morales, and and we got it to a certain extent. Uh, never reached the heights I think the uh, the front office and some Blue Jays fans had for him. I know last year uh, Lourdes Goriel Jr. winning the batting title was one of the ones you had. Now, if he didn't have his bad first half yeah. uh, of the season, maybe <laughs> things would have been different for for Lourdes. But uh, always fun doing these. I mean, they're supposed to be bold, right? So they're supposed to be ones that really jump off the page we have three each uh we've also got a bunch from our listeners that uh, hit us up on twitter at dfa underscore pod which is where you can always reach us so we'll get to uh, a few of those before we wrap it up but uh let's kick it kick things off with your first bold prediction for the blue jays for 2022 okay so i think we briefly his name might have been mentioned once uh so far but greg bird's making this club uh, out of opening day and i know that that is probably partially in part because of a 28-man roster, 
which is really more about pitching. But like, I think the more likely scenario is if, especially if Greg Bird hits in the first month of the season, is that Reese McGuire is no longer on this roster and come May 1st or, or late April, whatever it is. And I think Greg Bird can hit enough. Like it's never really been about his talent. It's been about his ability to stay on the field. And so far, so good. He seems healthy, had a really good spring, hits the ball hard, decent eye. And my prediction is that not only does he last the season, he hits at least 15 home runs this season for the Blue Jays. He's going to play, you know, first base DH pinch hit situations. I think he's going to get his share of at bats. And I think he hits at least 15 home runs this season. So there you go with uh, my first one, Greg Bird, 15 plus long balls in 2022. Wow. Greg Bird becoming the left-handed hitter that the Blue Jays were searching for would be uh, quite the plot twist oh, yeah. that I don't think anybody uh, ever expected. But he, I mean, look, he's been a name that uh, I think, you know, previously, even with the Yankees, Yankees fans were always thinking, God, if this guy could just stay healthy, there's something there. And uh, the Blue Jays are hoping that it can finally happen north of the border. To be able to do it against the Yankees would just be even uh, so much sweeter, I think, for for a guy like Greg Bird. So I mentioned before, Matt Chapman is a guy that everybody has their eye on this season. So he is my first bold prediction. This obviously wasn't a bold prediction a few years ago when he was in the mix. But I will say for 2022, Matt Chapman finishes top three in AL MVP voting. So that is what I'm going with this year. Now there's things working against him. Of course, he's, you know, coming off an injured hip and coming off some poor seasons. Can he get back to where he was before? It's going to be at least starting the season batting what sixth, seventh in this lineup. Is he going to accumulate enough stats uh, offensively to, you know, make that big push into the AL MVP voting. But the way I look at it is there's only one player on this current Blue Jays team that has ever put up a seven win season. And he has two of them in 2018 and 2019, seven win seasons, put you in the conversation for MVP voting. And my expectation is he's going to be able to get back to the hitter that he was, you know, four years, three, four years ago. And he's going to be slowly creeping up that lineup. Maybe he doesn't get into the top four. I think, you know, it'd be pretty tough to get over a guy like Bo Bichette or Teoscar Hernandez into this lineup. But, you know, if Matt Chapman ends up being the fifth hitter a month into the season because, you know, he's gone on this credible hot streak, we know what he can do defensively. It's not going to take a lot if he stays healthy to, you know, what's the baseline, Josh, for a Matt Chapman season here? Like four wins? Like that's the floor, right? Because yeah. of the defense and, as you mentioned, the league average offense that he's shown the last couple of years. Like that's the floor for this guy. So I think there is potential if the stars align, if it all comes together, a la Josh Donaldson 2015, Matt Chapman ends up maybe not winning it, but he'll be in the top three of AL MVP voting. So that's my first Blue Jays bold prediction. So it's funny that you went there because as I was putting my list together and, you know, starting and stopping and throwing some stuff out and, and, and then moving off of it, I initially had one that Matt Chapman, Chapman would finish higher in MVP voting than both Bo and Vladdy. So I think like that's not necessary. Like if he finishes top three, it could easily be a scenario like last year where Vladdy wins MVP this year and Chapman finishes third, like Simeon did. Like it's yeah. very much within the realm of possibility uh, that that happens. And like you said, like if your baseline is three and a half to four wins based mostly on your defense, but also if you can be a, just an okay offensive player, then you're really, really good and really, really valuable. And playing at Roger center and playing in the AL East and playing good defense like if match to me, if match is under a five win player this year, I will be very, very surprised and very, very disappointed because of just the stars very much seem to be aligned here for him to have just an absolutely massive year. Like if he hits 40 home runs, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I think uh, that feels like it's definitely on the table for Matt Chapman moving from Oakland to Rogers Center. All right, what's your second Blue Jays bold prediction? Okay, so uh, he's kind of like the Sasquatch in some ways. Like it's, it doesn't feel like sometimes he really exists. You like see him in a, a hazy state and it's just like, did that actually happen? I don't really know if I was awake or lucid for it. But Julian Merriweather, we've talked about it so many times. My guy. Where's the stuff? Uh, on, in terms of all pitchers in baseball, like he's got top tier stuff, starter reliever. It is just absolutely filthy. We saw it obviously opening weekend last year uh, against the Yankees. He was so good. And then, you know, injuries like always with him uh, are, are the big bugaboo, but I'm going with 
He throws at least 50 innings this year, which doesn't seem like that many, but you got to, you got to, you know, crawl before you can walk. So I'm saying 50 plus innings and a sub three, two, five ERA. So basically he is a very good reliever. I'm not saying he's necessarily going to supplant uh, Jordan Romano as the closer, but he is a effective and at times dominant high leverage reliever for the blue Jays and fills a really important role and need for this ball club. So I'm continuing to just push my chips in <laughs> on Julian Merriweather. I've been burned before. Azar, I'll probably get burned again this year, but I'm going with it. 50 plus innings, sub three, two, five ERA. Hey, that's totally fine. I mean, I had a Julian Merriweather bold prediction last year. It started off well. I said he was going to lead the team in saves. And, you know, first week of the season, he's throwing like Bugs Buddy changeups, striking out uh, New York Yankees in the Bronx. And then, of course, uh, quickly uh, hurt himself shortly after. And it was just an up and down season for him the rest of the way. So I will never uh, look the other way at a Julian Merriweather prop. Always love to see it. And I uh, like the bold prediction there. My second one also sticking with the bullpen and, you know, we'll, we'll see. Like I said, Nick Pearson is going to be in many different roles. You would think he was stretched out to be a starter here in spring. Um, as we mentioned before, dealing with a non COVID illness and Charlie Montoyo says unlikely to break camp with the team just because he hasn't built up enough to, to be able to start the season. So they're obviously going to give him a little bit more time before uh, joining the major league roster. But my bold prediction Nate Pearson's going to make the all-star team. That will be Ooh. my bold. <laughs> I just love your reaction. As soon as I said that these are supposed to be bold. So, you know, if you thought my first one was not bold enough, not as bold. Chapman has, uh, you know, been in the conversation about MVP in the AL. I'm going bolder here with uh, Nate Pearson. I just believe in the stuff and he's healthy now. Uh, the health has really been the biggest season. Uh, and I mean, health from the standpoint of, you know, he's not dealing with the, uh, the groin injury, uh, whatever it was, the abdominal injury that he was dealing with last season. And um, he got that fixed. And, you know, even though we saw him just a few outings here in spring, the stuff looked electric. I mean, he was hitting 99 again. He can still reach back for triple digits if he needs to. He's working with two breaking balls now that looked really good. The slider and the curveball. I think it was Miguel Cabrera caught him looking on a nasty curveball in one of the games against Detroit. It all comes down to health for uh, to health with Nate Pearson. But, you know, I look in the past at guys like, you know, Andrew Miller and some of these other relievers that just have otherworldly seasons and they make the all-star team as non-closers. I think there's a chance. I mean, if Nate Pearson can progress the way that the Blue Jays think he can, um, I think there's the sky's the, 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 the sky's the limit there for this guy and the ceiling is massive. So um, that's my second bold prediction that he will find a way just to put up, uh, you know, godly numbers out of the bullpen to uh, make the all-star oh, yeah. team. Matt, I will say talking my language with that. <laughs> it, it's not a high percentage. I'm not putting it as super high percentage, but these are bold predictions for a reason. So that's where I'm going. That's the boldest prediction of, of any that we're going to make here. Like I, I, I think mine are like somewhat bold, not insanely bold, like Greg bird hitting 15 plus home runs, definitely plausible, unlikely. Uh, but that is very, very bold uh, that Nate Pearson is going to be an all-star as primarily like a multi-inning weapon out of the bullpen. Boy, oh boy, that would be uh, that would be something else if that happens. Yeah. That's a victory lap of all victory laps. If that ends up happening, you got to shout that one from the roof. I was going to say, just know that if it doesn't happen, this uh, table will be stricken from the record. Yes, of course. Episode one will be just be tossed in the trash yeah. bin. But if it actually does happen, uh, you like you said, I will be screaming this from the rooftops. This will play for the rest of my life that Nate Pearson, I predicted he would make the all-star team. All right, what's your uh, final bold prediction? Okay, so I, I'm sure listeners will know. I tweeted this one out. I wanted to just give a, a little taste of, of, of my bold predictions. This is probably... You know, I'm just like bias isn't necessarily the right word, but a lot of people know I've tweeted it many, many times that I am very high on Yusei Kikuchi and what he can do as a major league pitcher. And that came to fruition. He had one of the best starts against the Blue Jays last season of any pitcher. He was dominant. I think it was either Canada Day or right around Canada Day where he just absolutely shoved it down their throats and they had no answer for him. And he was good a couple of years ago at the Rogers Center. You know, you have mid to even high 90s from the left side, and you know, you throw a cutter, you can throw a change up, slider. Like that is something that I'm interested in seeing. And I, I think I thought it was a worthwhile investment. Yeah, he was basically like the the human form of the poop emoji after the all-star break last year, and he got pulled out of the rotation in Seattle. But my prediction is he puts it back together this year and he finishes with a lower ERA 
at the end of the season than Hyunjin Ryu. Ooh. So yeah, I, I would say that, that that that's bold. I think that that's fair to call bold. Very unlikely. I tweeted it out and people were just, you know, uh, <laughs> dunking all over me left, right and center and saying that I was out to lunch and, you know, I, I had no idea what I was talking about on this one. And odds are that that's probably going to be the case, but I'm betting on the stuff and the Blue Jays getting in the lab and, and figuring out how to maximize what he does best while minimizing where he struggled and finding a way to limit that hard contact, which basically got his ass kicked out of the rotation in Seattle last year. So there it is. Uh, lower ERA at the end of the season than Tianjin Ryu. All right. I like it. I'm a, I'm a big Kikuchi fan as well. I think there's something there. Uh, I need to see it to believe it. I, it's it's so similar. Like I know when the, the Blue Jays signed him, everybody was making those Robbie Ray comparisons because of, you know, baseball savant and this says this and this says that. But, you know, it's hard not to look at and be like, this guy has, you know, struggled uh, in different capacity than, you know, Robbie Ray. We all know his issues um, down in Arizona there before he came to the Blue Jays. But it just feels like there's a lot to work with here. And if they can unlock it, I mean, there's a chance for something special here with uh, Yusei Kikuchi. So I love the bold prediction there with him. Uh, Finally, I'm surprised you didn't go with him because it feels like you do it every year. I'm going with the Lourdes Goriel Jr. bold prediction here. I'm saying Lourdes wins a Silver Slugger award. Uh, into uh, 2022 you look at the season a year ago and uh, the first few months were just atrocious for for Lourdes question marks about whether he could even be you know a regular uh, player with this team moving forward and then after June 1st something clicked and he hit to the tune of a 130 WRC plus the rest of the way I mean carried this Blue Jays team seemingly at points there in the second half we all remember the the big grand slam that he had against the Oakland A's at, at Rogers Center and that big comeback victory um, he had some big moments there for the Blue Jays in the final few months unfortunately with them coming up short but he seemed to figure something out Josh you know whether it was him just getting more comfortable in uh, left field and not having to worry as much about the defense there's still concerns of course it's not like he's you know one of the best uh, you know at uh, you know tracking down balls out there the arm is great as we know he can throw it you know runners from all over the place out in left field. Um, but the bat, just something happened last year, whether uh, it was the approach, whether it was something that he was doing technically, he unlocked something. So uh, I don't know how bold uh, it is for you on the scale of, uh, you know, Nate Pearson making the all-star team uh, and Yusei Kikuchi having a lower ERA. But uh, my third and final bold prediction, Lourdes Gurrell Jr. wins a silver slugger award uh, in the outfield this year. Bold for sure. Definitely not. Uh, nothing will. I, we could do these in the next 50 <laughs> years, and I don't know if anything will top Nate Pearson making uh, the all-star team. So hats off, honestly, uh, to, to go in that bold. Like, I, I don't see any reason why you know, that, that isn't something that could end up coming to fruition. He's a very good hitter. We, we've seen that since he got up here. Like, his contact skills are elite. He can make really consistent contact. You know, sometimes he just, I think, expands a little bit too much. And then you can see those kind of valleys where he's striking out a lot and he's just not necessarily putting the ball in play. But like when he is locked in, he's as good of a hitter as really anyone. Like he has power to all parts of the field. He can go the other way. Like he, his plate coverage is, is good when he's locked in. And we saw it last year. He drove in 30 runs in the month of September. It was incredible. And like he's going to be in a primo RBI position this year. So if he can find a way to just, I'm not saying that the valleys are going to disappear because Lourdes has been around for long enough now that I think you just have to sort of accept that that is part of his profile offensively is that there are going to be some lean weeks or maybe a lean month here or there, but instead of it being lean months, or lean weeks, it's one lean week, maybe in a month and not an entire month where you're hitting, you know, under the Mendoza line or flirting with hitting under the Mendoza line. And then you basically have four or five consistent months where you're above average. Then he could drive in a hundred runs and absolutely be in the conversation for an outfield uh, silver slugger. So I, I like that one. It's definitely bold, but I, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if he hits 30 home runs this year and drives in a hundred because it looks like he is going to be batting fifth and he's going to have to work his way out of it. Or somebody's going to have to knock him out of it if he's not hitting well. And I'm inclined to bet on the talent with him and, and uh, bet that he'll be able to maintain uh, for the majority, if not the entire season. All right. Well, we'll definitely be, 
revisiting these, uh, the midway point of the season at the All-Star break. Uh, we will find out if Nate Pearson is a, an All-Star or not. That will be uh, definitely an interesting one to watch there. But as I mentioned, uh, listener bold predictions, people uh, sent us them theirs at DFA underscore pod. So let's uh, get to a few of them there. You said people were uh, dunking on you for theirs. So maybe here's your chance to uh, posterize people back here with some of theirs. Papa Pete 19 on Twitter says, Santiago Espinal, Kevin Biggio combined for a higher B-war or an F-war than Jose Ramirez. That is uh, the first bold prediction that we have. Ooh. Now, Jose Ramirez is a guy that, uh, just taking a look at his fan graphs page, has put up an eight-war uh, season, and uh, last year was at 6.3. Uh, Santiago Espinal was at 2.2 F-war uh, last season. Kevin Biggio, uh, in the past, his rookie season put up a 2.4 in 100 games. So uh, these guys would have to have some uh, pretty big seasons. As it stands right now, they are going to be the platoon at second base, and they're obviously going to move around the diamond. But uh, knowing that Jose Ramirez has an eight-war season in his bag, uh, can these two combine to potentially put up those type of numbers in your mind? Oh man. Like I, you know, me, everyone, I think probably who's listening to this podcast knows that, uh, like if who else loves Jose Ramirez more than me, like (laughs) I, I will die a happy man. Probably if the blue Jays find a way to trade for Jose Ramirez, he's a perfect baseball player for this team. And just in general, what he does is perfect for the way the game is played these days. Like if he has a six win season this year, which I think is probably a fair assumption because that's generally where he is. I'm going to say it's possible, but I, I think that, you know, people are really high on Santiago Espinal this year. And I, yeah. I think Espy's a real solid player, a good utility player. Kevin Biggio could easily have a three win season. Like, he was a very good player um in his first 159 games first two seasons but you're basically talking like you know he's got to be in the three to four win range and sp's got to be in the two to three win range it's it's unlikely it's very bold it might not be quite as bold as nate pearson to the all-star team but that is pretty close and i just don't think espinal's hit tool is is there i know he's bulked up and he's hit some balls hard harder than he did last year almost as many at a certain uh, exit velocity but like that's a lot to put on him that he's going to be a two and a half or three win player i know he was i think more than two wins uh in terms of value last year in like 90 to 95 games but he, he's got to show more uh, and bgo has got to stay healthy and bounce back and, and hit velo a little bit better so i'm inclined to not say that that's going to happen but man papa pete Coming in hot with yeah. the first bold prediction. That is a good one to start with. Yeah, big uh, swing and big here in the uh, leadoff position for the listener bold predictions. Uh, Jezo Joe one on Twitter says, with the improved defense, Henjin Ryu will have a top three ERA on the Jays pitching staff. So he's going to have to outpitch Alec Manoa, Kevin Gossman, and uh, Jose Barrios, who we all see as, of course, the, uh, t- the top three guys in this rotation. You look at the projection systems, Josh, and, you know, obviously they take a lot of the historic data into consideration, um, but it's kind of all over the map. I, I see the bat, Derek Hardy's the bat has uh, Hunjin Ryu projected at a 4.29 ERA, but Zips has him at 3.69. So that kind of gives you the sense of the range steamer 4.06. So it's kind of all over the place, but you know, we talked about it earlier. I think it's going to be difficult uh, for Hunjin Ryu to get back to where he was even just two seasons ago in 2020 when he finished top three in AL MVP voting, uh, sorry, AL Cy Young voting. Um, it was a struggle for him last year. And to think that, you know, he's going to be able to outpitch Alec Manoa, Jose Barrios, and Kevin Gossman, I think is a, a pretty tall task. But, you know, we're asking for bold predictions. So uh, Jezo Joe trying to uh, go big or go home here. Yeah, well, I'm I'm gonna not be able to get on board with this. Like, this is a no f- for me because I picked Kikuchi to have a lower ERA than <laughs> Ryu. So that probably means that Ryu has the lowest ERA on, on the staff. But Kikuchi could surprise, and maybe he ends up having a lower ERA than I, you know, Gosman or Barrios or or Manoa. Very unlikely, but. I just think that Ryu is probably somewhere around a four ERA. And if he pitching in the AL East is a soft ish tossing lefty and you have like, let's say he has like a 3.98 or a 4.03 ERA or somewhere in that range. That's pretty damn good for the back end of your rotation. Like you'd take that, I think, and run with it. And 
I just don't think that he is necessarily going to be able to deliver those results anymore. Like you said, where he's in the low threes, I just don't know if he's always going to be somebody that you want pitching, you know, that deep into ball games. Do you want him seeing a lineup a third time uh, at this stage of his career? If he's not necessarily got the velo uh, on the fastball, because we know that if he's under 90 miles consistently on his fastball, that's usually the danger zone for him. If he's averaging, you know, in the 88, 89, then he's usually a, a lot more hittable. So I would be very surprised if he outpitches uh, any of those three, because all those guys have strikeout, like potentially elite strikeout ability. Like I think Alec Manoa is going to take a, a pretty sizable leap this year yeah. in the amount of strikeouts he's able to rack up. And that's just never really been reused game. And if you're relying on putting the ball in play, even with Matt Chapman backing you up at third base, that's just a, a risky formula for low ERA totals in the American League East. So I'm going to fade that one, I would say. All right, let's uh, quickly get to uh, a few more here. Uh, one of the better Twitter names out there, Garth Orgy. Uh, I can't believe I just said that on the podcast. I wouldn't have been able to say that on the radio. back. <laughs> Good point. Day, I can say it on the podcast. He uh, is you know, right with me. He says Matt Chapman has a higher war than Marcus Semien. This year, uh, once again, taking a look at the projection systems out there, Zips has Marcus Semyon at a 5.5 F war this year. Matt Chapman coming in at 4.6. His range is more in the, the threes where Semyon is really in the fours. Like I said, I don't think it takes much. I mean, if Matt Chapman can find the hit tool, much like Marcus Semyon did last year with that elite defense at third base, I mean, these two could, could be competing at the end of the year for the uh, AL MVP for all we know. Yeah, I just feel like if if Simeon regresses a bit offensively, which is going to happen, he's not like, is he going to hit 50 home runs this year after a, a record for a second baseman type of season? Probably not. I wouldn't rule it out, though, because he's just an incredible ball player and uh, like a true presence and, and obviously will be missed, I think, in more ways than one uh, for the, for the blue Jays, but Chapman's value, I think defensively makes this a real conversation because you're just place more value in terms of what a third base, a great third baseman defensively can do than a great second baseman, like third base and shortstop for a reason are the money-making positions. That's where you usually see a lot of infielders getting major bank on contracts. And even if Simeon has another great defensive season, if Chapman can do what he normally does defensively and be good offensively, and Simeon does regress and hits, I don't know, 30 home runs. Then I think that, it wouldn't be at all surprising if Chapman ends up with the higher war uh, than Simeon. And that doesn't necessarily mean that he had uh, a truly better season, but sometimes these calculations can factor certain things more and skew things uh, a little bit more. But I, I don't think that that's uh, like, as far as it goes, th that's the, in, in terms of the temperature, the heat of a bold prediction, it's still bold but it's not on the level of, of some that we've gotten so far. Like I, I think that I would, I would buy it. I, yeah. I honestly, if I could make that bet, I would make that bet this year, the Chapman uh, outproduces Simeon on the war scale. And Marcus Simeon still has the, the pop to hit it out of anywhere, obviously, mm -hmm. but you know, getting to play in Dunedin last year, Buffalo and the Rogers center. And then some of these AL East parks, I mean, that was really working in his favor, but yeah. you look at where he's going now. I mean, I don't know how many people realize, but like globe life park is not a hitter's park anymore. Like it's nope. a cavernous place for whatever reason, the ball does not carry out the same way that it did. Obviously humidors are in effect now at a lot of different uh, ballparks. So who knows how much that's playing into it, but he's got to go back to Oakland to play some games. He's got to play in Seattle. Um, he's got to play in uh, Angel Stadium. Like these are not, uh, you know, hitter havens anymore that he's going back. He's going back to the AL West, right? So he's going back to where he played the majority of his career where, you know, he had some decent seasons, but, you know, 33 um, was the career high in homers in 2019, 27 and 2016. It wasn't until last year that he hit the 40 plus mark. So, you know, like you said, if he drops back down to, to 30 or so home runs, I mean, what does that do for his offensive numbers, yep. which uh, really carried uh, a lot of his war a season ago, um, as did that defense. But I definitely uh, like that one. Here's a final one. Uh, Greg underscore Waz says uh, his bold prediction, there will be six Blue Jays with at least 30 plus homers this year, plus the Blue Jays win 100 games. So he's oh, uh, going double barrel here with uh, his bold prediction. Which one of those two do you, uh, do you feel more confident about? <sighs> it's hard to win games is, games. Yeah, it's really, <laughs> it's damn really hard. Difficult. So I, I would say probably the, the 30 homers, I guess, 
like who are the who are the six that so, are pro- that he's probably forecasting? Yeah, so it's Vladdy, yep. uh, George Springer, yep. Matt Chapman, Tay Oscar, Bo, and then you got to pick either Lourdes is the one that steps up to hit thirty, or it's somebody else. Uh, Danny Jansen all of a sudden just decides <laughs> I'm going to go full Mike Zanino and yeah. just uh, hit bombs or strike out. Like that's kind of what we're looking at. So it's Vlad, George, Matt Chapman, Tay Oscar, Bo, and then you got to pick one more. I'd go Lourdes. I, I said when we were talking about yours about the silver slugger that I wouldn't be surprised if he hits 30 and 100. But that that's the lesser of the two bolds. Winning 100 games in the AL East, like I, I know the Rays did it, but it's very, very difficult. Like, Sure, you can just pound the Orioles. Uh, didn't the Rays go 19-0 and 0 against the <laughs> Orioles so, last yeah. year? So like, maybe you can get 20% of your wins towards 100 against the O's, but it doesn't always go that way. Like even if you go 17 and two or 16 and three, that's still great. It's very difficult. Like I, I have the Jays probably in that 95 to 98 win range. Wouldn't surprise me at all uh, if they get to a hundred, but like all things like they, they sort of go hand in hand. Like if the Jays have some drop-offs and a few guys underperform and like, they don't have that many 30 home run hitters, then they're probably not that likely to, to get to a hundred wins. So they might go, uh, hand in hand, but I, I think that the 30 home runs is, is more likely just because of the environment that these guys are playing in. Roger Center is just a wonderful place uh, to play half your home games. It's not what Dunedin and, and, and Salem Field were last year, but balls still, generally speaking, fly out uh, at a pretty good clip. And, you know, Fenway Park, you got a lot of right handed hitters, you got the short porch. I know Baltimore uh, is, is trying to curb their suckiness by changing the dimensions <laughs> at uh, Oriole Park. Balls are still going to fly out there. And certainly Yankee Stadium. Uh, I know it's right field, but th- their left field fence isn't particularly intimidating uh, either. So I'll go the 30 homers, six guys hitting 30 homers. I think that one is more believable, but I wouldn't be surprised if both of those or neither of those like th- these. This is why you go bold for a reason. Like you can see it coming to fruition just as uh, easily as it just blowing up like the death star in your face. Yeah. Love it. Love all the bold predictions from everybody. Uh, You can just keep sending them to us, send all your tweets, all your thoughts on Twitter at DFA underscore pod. Hard to believe it, Josh. Uh, Season finally gets going here on Friday, Blue Jays, Texas Rangers, at Rogers Center, as you touched on before, uh, if things go sour in the first uh, weekend of the season, uh, Twitter is going to be oh, just yeah. uh, a complete uh, hellfire and brimstone. It's it's going to be ugly, but that's how it always is. I mean, you kind of just jump on the first thing, good or bad, at the beginning of the season, and that kind of you know shapes your view as to how things are going to go the rest of the way. We've done enough post game shows early on in the year uh, to uh, obviously you know see how things uh, shake out. As uh, our old friend uh, Mike Wilner likes to say it's early uh, but sometimes yeah. people don't uh, take that into account so uh, your expectations what, what are we seeing here when we uh, do a podcast at the end of September so I think the Jays are winning the division for the uh, first time since uh, 2015 right now my my pick is they lose to the Dodgers in the World Series and oh I'm really going out on a limb <laughs> with that one I missed her hot take uh, saying that the Dodgers are going to win the World Series but like I think that they are unequivocally one of the three best teams in baseball. Like I know people will say, well, they haven't won a playoff series. Like I don't really give uh, you know what uh, about that. Like that doesn't really bother me. We're talking about the regular season. This team is built to rack up monster numbers, offensively pitching and in the win column and you know, playoff baseball, the Atlanta Braves won the world series for God's sake last mm-hmm. year. Sometimes that's not always the, the most accurate barometer of who the best team is over a six month period. There's an element of good fortune matchups, you name it, go into it. But in terms of regular season success, and I still think that they also are equipped to really succeed in the playoffs there. It's all there. Like it's everything you could want in a roster uh, in 2022, the Blue Jays have it in spades. So I think, uh, you know, barring knocking, I'm knocking on wood here, uh, something very unforeseen. I think the next six months are going to be a, a real fun ride uh, for fans of this ball club. Yeah. If the Blue Jays make the World Series, I don't think people are prepared. Uh, I mean, just go back to how you felt pitch by pitch in 15 and 16. Oh, God. Uh, it yeah. was torture. It was absolute torture. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think I'm with you. Uh, Blue Jays find a way to get to the World Series. And I'm going to give it a different twist. As great as the Dodgers are, 
Give me the Braves. Give me the Alex Anthopoulos yeah. narrative. Shapiro and uh, Anthopoulos duking it out and that whole storyline. I think that would be incredible. So I'll say uh, Jays and Braves, a repeat of uh, 1992 in uh, the World Series 30 years later. Of course, there's some uh, symmetry there nice. for you yeah. uh, as well. So uh, we'll definitely revisit that. But uh, before we get to that point, lots to talk about as the season progresses. We want to thank you for finding us here on the Designated for Assignment podcast. For Josh Goldberg, I'm Rob Wong. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you in a week's time.